I want to hear your reactions to Monaco, kind of, but I, I better not indulge that too much. Did you, <laughs> did you watch qualifying uh, and the the race, both um, sessions, or you know, both events? Yeah, yeah, we watched yeah. the qualifications. Um, I feel like qualification was more exciting than the actual race. Uh, okay. There's a little bit more uh, collisions and things going wrong. The race got exciting when it started to rain, but we had to leave after that, so uh, <laughs> we didn't see the the finale. Um, sure. That was a fun one. Um, I guess tied into Marvel, uh, you know, anyone who's seen all the MCU movies is familiar with the Monaco Grand Prix from the way it was depicted in Iron Man 2. So were you familiar with the race much outside of that context, would you say? I had seen uh, the first season of Drive to Survive on oh, Netflix. Yeah. Um, yeah. I actually didn't realize there were more seasons, but I saw the first season. I liked that. And then, yeah, of course, I uh, Iron Man 2 is one of my favorites. Uh, so yeah, I remember... It from that, um, yeah, very tangentially related to what we're discussing today, yeah. but I'll, I'll get into it. I mean, uh, we do kind of a cold open on these shows, the Thoughtcast conversations about animation, uh, podcast hosted by me, Philip Elke. I'm up here in northern Minnesota, and today I'm joined by my brother in law, returning from the Andor episode, Elliot Mitchell in uh los angeles how are you doing elliot howdy i'm doing good thanks for uh coming on to talk some marvel uh guardians of the galaxy volume three uh, you know it's been a, a few weeks since this movie's been out so uh a little late to the party but this this kind of evergreen i i really enjoyed this film and wanted to get it into the schedule so thanks for uh for sharing your thoughts uh has samara seen it yet Samara has not seen it. Uh, I went to go see it with my uh, my guy friends yeah. on opening weekend, but uh, she hasn't gotten a chance yet. Yeah, I uh, wanted to <laughs> hook you up. I, I mean, or, or thanks for hooking me up because I know you have seen it, and yeah. uh, you know there there are various people I I know who do the podcast with me who just kind of not quite gotten around to. Uh, <laughs> to seeing this in theaters i guess uh i i you know cer certain people it's not as much of a priority to go out and see the new marvel film uh and that seems to be perhaps more and more the case as time goes on and uh, we get deeper and deeper into this cinematic mythology that is marvel cinematic universe uh and and you know uh certainly critically We've seen signs of stagnation um, more recently, especially. So you, you said you really like Iron Man 2, which was kind of one of the earlier, like, lesser regarded films in the MCU. But I, I agree with you. I really find Iron Man 2 pretty enjoyable as well. So, like, I'm I'm pretty soft on these films overall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoy I like Iron Man 2. I know it's a controversial opinion, but uh, I definitely think all of the... I also like number three. Maybe yeah. I just like Iron Man, but uh, I thought the villain in number two was very cool. Uh, I want my bird. <laughs> yeah, uh, the movie has a lot of personality. 
I was let down by it when I first saw it in theaters mm-hmm. back in 2010. But upon multiple rewatches, I've come to really enjoy it. Um, of course, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, very much uh, a crowd pleaser of a series. And um, I I saw this, you know, when it opened the, the original Guardians in 2014. I was in San Francisco at the time, actually. I, you, that's where you <laughs> just were and watching uh, some Formula One action with some family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so... Uh, and that that's same family. Uh, my sister, who lives in San Francisco, is the one who turned me on to Formula One myself, and I've since become kind of a super fan, um, <laughs> and uh, unhealthfully obsessed. But uh, yeah, Guardians. I, I think I even went to see Guardians One with Liza, my sister, uh, in SF. Uh, after seeing it by myself the first time, because I was up visiting for like three weeks. And uh, um, so I, I saw uh, Guardians 1 by myself, really enjoyed it, and you know had good things to say about it and convinced my sister to come see it uh, as well. So that was a fun little you know bonding experience. But yeah, I mean, what a what an exciting kind of, galaxy hopping or you know the planet hopping adventure uh similar to like you know star wars or other epic sci-fi fantasy um franchises but also tied to the marvel cinematic universe in a way because uh there are events within that mythology that um canon that take place uh off planet earth uh, simultaneous to the more grounded events that we had seen in previous, you know, more grounded, quote unquote, uh, from other films like uh, Iron Man and Captain America. Uh, but of course, like mo- movies like Thor and then ultimately the Avengers brought in a whole new dimension to that um, franchise. So, uh you know, it seemed prime for something uh, as expansive as this Guardians of the Galaxy uh, subject matter from um, some, some of the lesser known comics. So when, when were you first made aware of Guardians of the Galaxy, Elliot? Uh, Guardians came out, I think, 2014, right? Yeah. Um, that was uh, my senior year of high school. Uh, so I remember going to see Guardians of the Galaxy opening weekend with a bunch of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being blown away by the, uh, soundtrack integration. Uh, yeah. just absolutely killer, uh, <laughs> soundtrack. The mixtape, uh, was definitely on my summer playlist that year. Um, <laughs> and also, yeah, like you said, the, uh, departure from kind of the, um, the rest of the Marvel universe up to that time, from what I remember, being very Earth focused, very semi realistic, I suppose. Uh, I guess grounded is a great term for it. Yeah. Um, it was a cool, cool kind of departure into a uh, interstellar adventure. Um, I remember really liking that first one. Um, that was a, definitely a hit for me. Um, and then I actually don't remember where I was for the second uh, one, but I did like the second one as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the uh, kind of the culmination of the uh, the world uh, being his the ego being his dad and the the whole like uh, he is the planet, but he has a kind of an avatar and fills in mm-hmm. some of the plot from the previous movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Twenty seventeen was Guardians Guardians two. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like you want to see more adventures with these characters, so it was a good opportunity to just have them on another adventure. Uh, ultimately, that film saw fairly um, like almost universe uh, impl- <laughs> implicating stakes with uh, mm-hmm. you know some of these plans being hatched by the villain ego and and you do see like he's spread his proverbial seed across the right. entire galaxy <laughs> um and and it's starting to awaken uh, i guess uh I, what what is the inciting incident that is it because he's a he's got his son reunited with him that he's now somehow like Oh he, yeah, like uh, Star Lord himself is some sort of avatar that mm-hmm. ego was trying to create, and and there were so many failed attempts because um, there's these uh, corpse, these stack of corpses or something. Yeah, right, right. I think there was ego was dying, I believe, and he wanted to yeah. train Star Lord to replace him. Um, this uh this theme of of failed creations seems like a uh, <laughs> a uh, consistent one in the Guardians franchise, which is interesting. Uh, speaking yeah. of Guardians three, Guardians three is a little like smaller because you're in just more one pocket of the galaxy. I feel which mm-hmm. I, I like. I like that they didn't feel the need to like expand it, you know, to even greater you know heights and lengths. Um, and and just keep it a little more intimate, but it it certainly didn't feel small the way mm-hmm. it was told. Uh, there's a lot going on in this movie. I I just came out of um, the Little Mermaid. You probably haven't oh, seen nice. that yet, have you? Yeah, Mm-mm. yeah. I mean, it's just um, you know, it, it looks nice. It's kind of like going to you know enjoy. Uh, I'm wearing my Walt Disney World oh, baseball nice. cap. <laughs> yeah. Retro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, appropriate for Guardians of the Galaxy. But, um, you know, the new live action Little Mermaid is kind of like going to a Disney World attraction uh, in the movie theater. A lot of cool, fun colors and songs. Uh, but it's just kind of bland and stale compared to a movie like Guardians 3, where there's just so much, so many moving parts, uh, so so much emotion and complexity amongst these characters we've grown to love, and uh, and really that boils down to you know the kind of singular vision that's shepherding all of it in mm-hmm. James Gunn. You know, you have that credit at the. I I think these are rare in the MCU, in that I think all three Guardians films do have pre-roll credits. Um, and then at the end of the credits, you know, James Gunn is credited as written and directed. Um, if I'm and not think, mistaken, yeah. And I think they're one of the only uh, of the superhero 
trilogies, I suppose, inside of the MCU that have the same director all throughout. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, you know, they like to get um, personalities to do a lot of these big budget uh, action movies, these franchise films. Um, I'm seeing clips of Black Panther. That was Coogler, Ryan, Ryan Coogler's, uh, the, the director of the Black Panther films, like another up and coming indie. Well, started in indie films and did like um, <clears throat> Creed and then black panther so it's just like um you know they they want creators and artists to be putting their imprint mm -hmm. on this franchise um uh, but you know that <laughs> we've we've certainly seen that um that mileage varies heavily uh, but you need a personality like james gunn who's now been hired to head a, a an entire studio basically now because he's just got that much clout right. um to, who to really kind of allow his vision to shine through with these uh these marvel films um, so i i i'm just i'm just uh waffling here but like um the whole notion of um comparing guard you know these sort of Disney live action sibling films, Little Mermaid and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Mm -hmm. It's it's rather stark, the, the difference between the two of them. I mean, it is interesting because both of these movies are Disney's like big money makers for this at least quarter of mm -hmm. uh, movies. I mean, Guardians 3 is the capstone for a trilogy that has been really popular and mm -hmm. Little Mermaid... I'm sure has just a ton of a uh, ton of fan support for uh, how popular mm. it was the original anyway. Um, yeah. So it's interesting having two sort of uh, I want to say blockbustery uh, type movies in Disney's like lineup at the same time with just such vastly different uh, audiences intended for them. Uh, yeah. You know, they're both under the same Disney umbrella, but uh, you wouldn't necessarily mix the uh, all of the audience for both movies. <laughs> <laughs> the target demos. I mean, there's there is so much overlap with uh, with blockbusters. You you really do kind of go for the the four quadrants if you want to recoup the money that gets invested into something of this level, but there are very very different uh kind of <laughs> aesthetics involved and so yeah the as much as uh two blockbusters could be dissimilar in their intention um these kind of are um i it's especially kind of interesting because um this movie guard guardians 3 is certainly one of the more intense uh Mm -hmm. superhero movies like it it does go hard it, it, you know gun did um his his last film was um suicide squad the suicide squad <laughs> and mm. that's a bizarre story in itself where you know that was a, a pretty intense r-rated superhero action movie that was the sequel to sort of a disappointing um almost guardians of the galaxy style ripoff 
mm-hmm. from a few years earlier. Was that David Ayer who did the original Suicide Squad? Um, but that, um, you know, released the Ayer cut, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, that movie was capitalizing on a lot of the same feature, you know, uh, trappings of like the classic rock soundtrack and this motley crew of heroes and, and anti-heroes teaming up um and and it just didn't really deliver what was promised because it mm-hmm. just seemed to have gotten yeah really messed with in the um you know potentially in the production meetings in the boardroom you know uh, to executive meddling um it is it is pretty funny though that the suicide like suicide squad is sort of you know the dc response to guardians of the galaxy yeah uh kind of a rip off of it and it doesn't work so they bring the director of guardians of the galaxy over to do <laughs> the like the reboot or soft the uh, soft sequel of suicide squad <laughs> to try and like rescue it it's it's interesting uh <laughs> yeah people raved about that uh peacekeeper peacemaker peace peacemaker uh, John Cena. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't see that. I I should check that out on on HBO now. Max. Yeah. <laughs> but did, did you see Peacemaker? Uh, yeah, I, I saw the first season. Um, Has there been interesting. just one season so far? Uh, I I, I think there. I think it's only been one. Um, but just so interesting with how fraught that brand you know the dc uh oh, yeah and or um the 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 hero universe they they try i guess they never really even settled on an official brand but a lot of people just <laughs> call it the dc eu the the dc extended universe yeah um, i think now they have the new james gunn uh regime did settle on a name for what they want to call it might just be the DC universe, but I'm not sure. <laughs> right, because yeah. didn't they bring James Gunn in to head the, the DC universe? Yeah, he's he's basically the Kevin Feige. Mm. Of, so so now there's the MCU and I think the DCU, just mm-hmm. uh, one letter off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to make it a little, a little extra confusing. Uh, <laughs> well, the, yeah. yeah, DCEU, I mean... The, the um the suicide squad films and like peacemaker you know kind of shared certain elements there there's a certain i don't know incestuous quality to all of those films mm-hmm. that isn't quite on the same level of a shared universe that you know MCU is ostensibly supposed to be well MCU is i mean it's definitively a fully shared universe uh, mm-hmm. just with you know a few ambiguities like maybe the Netflix you know like you, know, you have the Daredevil and Defenders and stuff where they reference events from the MCU movies but later I think uh, installments of MCU would kind of dismiss some of the stuff from the television arm yeah. of the MCU yeah. 
Um, so, you know, it's, you can't like, like with star Wars and the, the expanded universe there, it's like, right. You can't ever keep it all straight, uh, perfectly. So, um, but with, yeah, like between the Zack Snyder films and wonder woman and suicide squad and, and now like Shazam and, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> what was his name? Black Adam. Yeah. Black Adam, uh, the new flash movie. Oh yeah. yeah. The flash. Yeah, it's all it's all just going to collapse into one black hole with this mm-hmm. new Flash movie. Uh, Flash movie, <laughs> uh, right? That'll They're be kind of doing fun. their own multiverse uh, movie <laughs> with the yeah. Flash, the Speed Force. Yeah, they're they're taking things across the Spider Verse with all of these, mm-hmm. uh, you know, comic book. It kind of worries me with Star Wars because I'm I'm sort of a stickler for continuity when it comes to star wars not so Mm -hmm. desperately so that like you know i i've i've maybe said things on to you you know or uh on the show like i i just uh don't like getting angry about fandoms (laughs) yes i i i feel like you get gatekeepery if you start acting belligerent and uh it's like that's not my star wars mm-hmm. it's like uh no this is all <laughs> being told and it's only ever good if it's being told from a very distinct perspective of a creator of a writer uh but once you inject personality into these things then then you run the risk of really kind of alienating certain facets of the fan base uh, but that's just a risk that you have to take. You have to have your guardians of the galaxies um, at the risk of once in a while having uh, uh, Eternals or or Last Jedi, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It is interesting that, I mean, your, your point about like not alienating the fan base, um, like the original Guardians of the Galaxy felt like, I think we both, recognized it as kind of a departure from the previous MCU entries. Um, kind of a courageous change to uh, go up with, uh, you know, a, a retro soundtrack and a, a team of uh, characters who are less than uh, Savory. ideal. <laughs> or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, similarly with uh, the entries by uh, T- Takio, oh, sorry, I'm gonna say this terribly wrong. Uh, Takio TV. Oh, oh, Taika, the Taiko, yeah, Taika TV, Kiwi filmmaker. Uh, from yeah, the Thor. I mean, that was such an imprint he put on the Thor franchise mm-hmm. with uh, Ragnarok, mm-hmm. and then you know he got carte blanche to do the fourth Thor, and uh, and people. <laughs> retaliate like the fans revolted <laughs> yeah so i, I kind of like thor for but yeah i i enjoyed it too but it's funny how within you, you talk about like uh star wars being uh you know kind of the uh, a meticulous or you could consider star wars like a meticulously assembled universe right where mm-hmm. everything is kind of uh in one timeline and the aesthetic kind of stays the same throughout it's all star yeah. wars you can see the world as it should marvel, <laughs> as it as it should uh meanwhile marvel can kind of shotgun out these different concepts uh because they've built out this universe that's 
big enough, especially yeah. with their space-based franchises, to kind of take things in really weird directions, like Love and Thunder and like uh, this new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I mean, <clears throat> a giant uh, skin skin ball space station <laughs> is certainly a aesthetic departure from pretty much the rest of the Marvel universe. Um, it's yeah. uh yeah, it's interesting that that they can have that much room to play inside of their own uh, universe without kind of uh, truly making the fandom uh, <laughs> an enemy. Yeah. Um, are you have you watched like Rick and Morty at all or? Yeah, yeah, it's, I think I saw. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty ubiquitous, but it has had some um, hiccups lately. I know the the that franchise, so you know, it's, and it it sort of has become kind of cliche to uh, to bring up Rick and Morty just because um, it, it's trying to strike at a certain sensibility of just just like really. Um, uh, almost caustic irony uh but mm-hmm. i don't know it's it it does a lot of fun things in terms of its uh, concepts and sort of sci-fi just chaos and anarchy um so like it, it makes sense that they would kind of borrow from that a little bit for something like guardians of the galaxy you know this kind of irreverent space comedy um and and i know various uh, um creative uh forces writers and such from rick and morty have migrated over to the mcu i don't know if you had heard that oh interesting yeah i'm not sure how involved they were with this film uh guarding i mean james gunn is the credited writer is he the sole credited writer i mean there must have been some kind of team at least I, made, I struggle yeah. to believe that any one person does any one thing on a movie, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, all of these big franchises have the the brain trust, you know, where there's a, um, I mean, even with Star Wars, you, you have um, like a story trust of people trying to keep things consistent within the, the universe. Um, but I think different directors will you know they'll um defer to varying mm-hmm. levels to these uh these other kind of um voices um however you know gun insofar as he did that uh, it's very much on the screen in moments that kind of explains some of the events from the non-guardians uh, of the galaxy films uh, that that contain you know characters from guardians of the galaxy the avengers films for example um and i kind of liked how that was handled i don't know about you elliot like i i uh, i enjoyed seeing some of the connectivity to the rest of the mcu as as kind of sparing as it was in this film i actually i mean maybe i'm just really rusty on my mcu uh, stuff Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't I didn't pick up on a ton of uh, the connections in this one because I know we had a lot of uh, involvement of the Guardians in the Infinity War movies mm-hmm. um, and in the Thor uh, was it yeah it was Ragnarok right uh, yeah briefly 
I th I think there's like a brief shot of the Guardians in at in like a post credit scene of Thor Ragnarok, uh, but then they they do have scenes in uh, Love and Thunder. Right, right. Um, they start off with Thor during Love and Thunder. Yeah, um, I'm I'm more yeah referring to like obviously Gamora. You know, she was sure. Yeah, sure. I. Uh, oh. Yeah, I, I don't know. The Gamora angle of this movie was interesting. Um, I didn't, I I guess the fact that there's going to be another Guardians of the Galaxy movie uh, makes me uh, more forgiving of it, I suppose, because it sort of felt like in this movie uh, they brought Gamora in and she didn't really progress at all. Yeah. Um, neither her nor... Peter ended the movie with any real change to their uh, their relationship or their like attitudes towards each other. Um, and I felt like that was maybe a little bit of a wasted opportunity. I mean, hmm. obviously there's going to be another uh, entry into Guardians and it'll probably come back as a larger plot point. But uh, for them to bring her back for this movie, but not to like make much of a move in terms of uh moving their plot along i was mm. was probably one of my critiques of the movie actually okay so yeah we kind of differ on this but mm -hmm. i i do like that the consequences of infinity war when thanos sacrifices his daughter uh does have reverberations uh that last too often you know you you have characters who die in comic book franchises and uh you know a few uh ser um, um what what are they called um issues later <laughs> they're they're yeah. brought to life in some way uh um but yeah go, i mean good more it's kind of cool that she's she can at least have a role in in this sure film. sure but um you know i i think it shows progress that that peter's able to kind of let her go um in this in this film i like how that is resolved because uh, that is something he really struggled with and and he even mentioned in um uh well he, he refers to his actions in i believe also infinity war where basically uh he he screws the entire galaxy the entire universe right <laughs> when they basically yeah they basically have the glove off of thanos the infinity gauntlet off of him you know and mantis i mean she's she's such a clutch player too in her power set um mm -hmm. you know the way she's able to like manipulate people's emotions but um you know she's got her you know uh claws into thanos and able to kind of loosen his grip uh, but then when quill starts you know star lord uh, he uh, he finds out gamora died he just can't hold back uh and and he admits that in this movie that like mm -hmm. i, I uh <laughs> I I nearly destroyed half the universe uh, yeah. with because of my irrational love of this woman. I, uh, I I I've at least felt you know some of the um, backlash I think that character got after that happened you know um, would would maybe be difficult to shake. 
Uh, and, and I'm sure. glad this movie kind of, um, I, I think mostly fully redeemed star Lord. <laughs> I, I certainly don't hold anything against star Lord after such a, you know, the, the blunder that, that I, I think, uh, a lot of fans, you know, worried was maybe against his character in, in that encounter with Thanos. Um, but. I I don't think I was too aware of yeah. the backlash against it. Um, okay, but uh, I was struck in this movie at how few uh, like classic. I, I'll say classic in regards to like the first two movies mm -hmm. uh, moments that Peter Quill has. I don't think he puts on his helmet during this mm -hmm. movie. And the two blasters do come out occasionally, but you don't really see as many of him, you know, rocketing around with his two blasters with his helmet on uh, as kind of a his his classic move. And I thought that was an interesting uh, evolution for his character to leave behind some of his trademark. Um, okay. I think a lot of the MCU characters, you know, have their uh, their pieces of equipment that kind of identify them. Um, and I was I was definitely surprised that they left behind the helmet in this one. Gosh, yeah, I didn't notice that uh, he maybe doesn't wear the helmet at all. Uh, and I, I think that was even a piece of the comic comics, maybe that I mean, I I. Uh, I don't know anything about the comics, frankly. Oh, me um, neither. <laughs> so, but but I could see that helmet design being sort of a, you know, one of the iconic images from the comics, at least. Um, and I think there have. I, I think the thing about the comics is that there were like multiple iterations of the Guardians of the Galaxy, kind of like how there have been you know several iterations of the avengers or, or right. uh, various team-up groups uh, <clears throat> you, this adam warlock character i think is has been a feature of you know various comic versions of the guardians um and like the um sylvester stallone character uh is in the guardians of the galaxy in the comics as well mm. in certain renditions um so it's it's kind of yeah I mean um, who knows how soon we'll get a new film titled Guardians of the Galaxy I'm not in any hurry whatsoever because th this trilogy was just so satisfying for me mm. um, but it does promise uh, Star Lord will return at the, right. at the very end um, which which does sound more like a he'll be in another like a an appearance in another movie but could be yeah who knows yeah um i i have a hard time imagining that guardians of the galaxy 4 not that you know especially if james gunn isn't directly involved or writing the script hmm. you know i i can't see how it could be nearly as satisfying as these three have been yeah um, I mean, it would have to be with the new team, too, because yeah. they gave pretty great endings for all of at least the the supporting 
uh, rest of the Guardians team. Uh, it's, thus is the dilemma, though, of these blockbuster <laughs> franchises. There's a you, pile of money sitting there, and we could make another movie <laughs> to get it. We could just keep milking uh, this thing. It's uh, Pandora's box. It's the... What is it? Um, <laughs> the call of the voice. You know, you just have to... Um, it's it's the uh, monkey paw. You you can't help but reaching out and grab grabbing it, even though mm-hmm. <laughs> doing so will likely end in disaster. You know these. Um, you know, what uh, uh, mythical analogy am I reaching for specifically? But the hand of Midas. There, you know, new numerous. Uh, <laughs> cases uh, within legend of the uh of icarus flying too close to the sun you know how mm-hmm. how you can can definitely have too much of a good thing um right but i guess for now we can bask in i mean i i really enjoyed guardians 3 you know bask in the success that, that has been um this uh kind of conclusion to a, a trilogy um and i guess uh, by the time they announce the next one uh, maybe we'll be ready for at least an opportunity to to spend some time with these characters again at the very least you know i kind of felt the same way about like t- toy story 4 you know mm-hmm. that seemed a little unnecessary but yeah at a certain point you're kind of just uh <laughs> Once all the characters have sort of solved their initial uh, reasons to go on a journey, you're kind of like, what else? What are we plumbing in this next uh, movie? We're sort of out of uh, reasons. And then uh, yeah. surely it's another inciting incident. But I I think it's also interesting. The I mean, we talked earlier about uh, Taika Waititi and James Gunn bringing their own kind of artistic uh, interpretations to the MCU. And there's sort of this trend, which I find interesting, in which like directors become known for their their stylistic takes on things Mm -hmm. and then are uh, sort of brought into a franchise to bring the franchise through their lens of how things work. Uh, for example, uh, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek uh, movies, or um, I mean, to, uh, there's a new, or they announced a while ago that Takiya Watiti was going to do a Star Wars yeah. uh, movie. And I think it's interesting that these directors are seen kind of um as artistic mediums that franchises can kind of flow flow through to create more uh, <laughs> variation within their worlds. Yeah, and, no, it's good. I mean, it's kind of necessary in yeah. order because they already you know get stale so quickly a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these, but the uh, the interesting thing to me is that these like. Uh, after these movies and the fact that they're in these cinematic universes, the characters, the, like the locations, all the things they like add into the universes 
stay in the universe after that director has gone gone past you know um so like the fact that james gunn may not do another gardens of the galaxy movie doesn't necessarily mean that another director coming to like uh use all of the various paints and watercolors of the mcu movies might not pick up the characters and use them in a future film which is which is interesting i i'm i'm curious about your thoughts on like what what do characters belong to you know i yeah. mean obviously there's a source material but yeah i i'm just more concerned about like the story and the plot um in terms of the way gun has kind of woven uh, these films, uh, the characters themselves, like they're they're owned by the actors as well, mm -hmm. and, uh, and the franchise, you know, the the, the comic artists. Um, so um, I, it's it's just kind of fun to to revisit these characters. Uh, you know, Rocket Raccoon, you know, Nebula. Imagine, um, you know, I mean, Mantis. Dave Batista as Drax has mentioned that. Um, he might not stick around, I know, because uh, he was really upset when James Gunn was initially fired from Guardians mm. 3, but, you know, was happy to return once Gunn was brought back. Um, Gamora, you know, she'll, she could uh, return. So I, I, uh, I see the value in a franchise, you know, a sub-franchise like Guardians, um, continuing and being expanded just like you would want to see more stories set within the star wars universe sure. um, something that's so um just uh rich with uh color and uh, variety um so so absolutely you know we should you know hopefully work on getting more quality stories told within this little enclave of the mcu um and i mean the the health of franchise cinema in general right now is, is maybe in question a little bit where it, it, it is kind of a a testing time for for blockbuster entertainment i feel with the the future of streaming somewhat in question mm -hmm. and and even like the writer strike and how People will be compensated moving forward. The the stresses that are being put on um, visual effects uh, uh, studios. Uh, I thought the effects in this film were fantastic, and like the the animal effects were very impressive. Um, and it's like, how do you have a movie like The Lion King where the animals lack expression and depth? uh and and then characters like the experiments the lab experiments in this you know showing so much dimension in in their performance and still looking like real creatures um mm -hmm. I, I really enjoyed uh the you know the artistry put into that um but you know i i uh, <laughs> there will always be these blockbuster films and the mcu but it does seem like Sometimes uh, the 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 plans that have been projected really have a hard time being realized, you know, in a in a satisfying way. 
or or they just collapse entirely like the taika waititi star wars film might not happen so many star wars films that have been announced have kind of dissolved into the ether rest uh, in peace patty jenkins rogue squadron <laughs> yeah and uh, now the, the whole thing with uh what's his name even the i i can't I, the the whole guy is set up in ant-man um oh rick king Kang, Kang, yeah, yeah. What's the actor's name again? Um, oh, uh, I forget. Uh, but oh, you're referring to the uh, the allegations. John Jonathan Majors, like he's had, yeah, some major issues come up now. So his future as an actor is kind of now in question. They might not want him to be the face of uh successive films within the mcu franchise right, right. so it's just uh, just to uh illustrate how delicate these huge enterprises are um and and then just how mercurial the audience is too uh <laughs> i i did check the box office for the weekend and um, it looks like domestically little mermaid made close to 100 million so i i'm guessing it'll be a profitable film but i just it's so bizarre um just how those movies seem to have such a tepid critical response at least if not outright hostile critical response just sort of a tepid fan response in terms of how for the live action yeah uh, yeah i mean because you know, th those uh, original animated films are so beloved and the soundtracks right. and, the, you know, a lot of them have sp um, spawned, you know, the Broadway adaptations, which I think these live action adaptations are kind of cribbing from a little bit, that whole mm -hmm. phenomenon of the, the Broadway adaptation. Uh, but none of these live action films have managed to really capture the magic of those original animated films. Uh, no. in any sense <laughs> so so i i felt like that was that would end up being a bit of a losing proposition for disney but mm. if they're able to just keep kind of um churning out these adaptations that make money just based on brand recognition alone then i guess they're going to keep doing so uh but movies like the ant-man ant-man quantumania uh, i believe was a financial disappointment for Marvel, a yeah. few other films like, you know, just yeah. I I uh, I don't know at what point the spigot, you know, when when does it start? Uh, yeah, when when does the uh, the cost versus uh, audience uh, reception kind of break even? It's interesting. You brought up uh, the uh, actor for Kang having uh, some issues, yeah, and Jonathan Majors. Yeah, Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors. Um, I remember the uh, in the DCU right now, the actor for um, yeah, the, the flat Flash mm -hmm. also um, has been accused, I think, credibly of uh, some sexual assault type um things 
Yeah, yeah, I think with in both these cases, there there have been like demonstrable serial uh, mm -hmm. allegations of impropriety, um, and, and you know some of which have been like caught on video. Even mm -hmm. I think Ezra Ezra Miller, like you know, there's video of him assaulting people physically, right, <laughs> or right. just behaving very weirdly. Um, so you know it's it's just not a and and yeah i i kind of get how when you shine the spotlight on people uh it uh it, it has detrimental effects psychologically yeah uh, you know and also the extra illumination may uh show things uh bring things to light that were hidden before yeah, um, yeah. but for being in such uh large cinematic universes i mean they were able to replace uh they replaced terrence howard on the first iron man movie over not even i don't even remember why they replaced him i think they just didn't like what he was where his character was going um you'd think there'd yeah. be an easy out for uh disney and or warner brothers to uh easily replace actors um who are problematic uh within their <laughs> universes and have i mean the don Cheadle switch went over pretty well i think yeah, uh, yeah I, I think they they might ultimately do that it, it just gets kind of tricky when uh you're having to promote a movie and some of your lead actors like if, if some of these allegations come out even before a movie premieres uh then then you've got your whole press schedule kind sure. of co compromised by now people are paying attention to the scandal uh and like yeah you know it's you you've got this yeah problematic association with your brand um but i mean <laughs> things like deep fake technology could potentially mm. yeah uh, I, I and you know there are legal implications involved with that, but I guess if someone breaches a contract due to impropriety, uh, it could justify doing like a deep fake mm. replacement. Uh, and uh, you know, interesting. <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Certain contract uh, stipulations would allow for that. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It's it's all so uh, dystopian. <laughs> yeah, we're so. we're certainly square in the middle of some very uh, interesting and maybe scary uh, <laughs> changes in the entertainment industry. I mean, the writers' yeah. strike, a hundred percent. I mean, a lot of it boils down to the role of uh, emerging technology in film. I mean, what can what what's the role of ai and yeah. stuff like this uh yeah i think i mean you know ultimately you don't want to be too dependent on technology because that could yeah. go away um you know i i think the abuse of technology could lead to to significant uh need for reform uh, in the future if if ai if we demonstrate that we just don't have the uh, the ability to um, responsibly uh, wield something like AI as a as a society, 
uh, then then perhaps it it becomes kind of proscribed, sort of like Battlestar Galactica. Like <laughs> <laughs> we gotta <laughs> take everything analog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a there's a huge you know there might be a, a a backlash. I mean, obviously in in extreme examples like that, it's like Terminator. You know, it's like sure. there are these apocalyptic events that occur and mass genocide level uh, death and and right. craziness. You know, you know you don't want to see that. Obviously, as a result, I, I do. You know, I I don't want to come out in favor or against AI really on either side because mm. it's such a un. Um, it's such a event horizon in the future mm -hmm. of possibilities, but mm -hmm. it is interesting as these franchises, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is built on top of, I don't know, like 36 movies of canon prior to it. I don't know what the count is right now, I'm guessing. Yeah, but... I mean, if you throw in like the Disney Plus series and everything, mm -hmm. you know, it's... It's it's a lot. <laughs> At a certain point, though, like, is it? And uh, I don't want to come out in favor of AI too strongly, but uh -huh. at a certain point, is it necessary for a computer or an algorithm to be making those connections in terms of keeping straight chronologically or uh, pulling throat like plot threads out of just so much content like hmm. in order to become like an expert on the mcu and all of the different plot threads going on i mean it'd probably take a human mm -hmm. at least the amount of time it takes to watch every single movie and tv show um mm -hmm. yeah and uh, yeah. i mean maybe that's just a tool that can be used by human writers because i do think human writers are absolutely superior to uh computers but whether or not the size of these universes that people are playing with uh mm -hmm. beget some sort of assistance in order to even utilize them fully i don't know yeah uh no, I I'm not <laughs> worried about you know. I I guess the the thing I'm maybe most worried about with AI is like just the the continued overload <laughs> of stuff of content. I guess mm. if, it, if it becomes so much easier to create stuff, sure. Um, then just becoming oversaturated um with high level content uh <laughs> might yeah it, it might just cause people to tune out <laughs> and and want to uh get back to reality a little bit um sure. so i don't know i um that that i feel like the problem with ai is like oftentimes it just makes up stuff oh um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i as, as like a fact checking tool mm -hmm. uh it might might not be the most reliable thing but you know so, so something like that you know would be a, a good use of it um but yeah like as far as a replacement for actual artistry i think we should be very skeptical oh yeah you know um but i don't know i i think it will always have pretty decent ways of checking against um 
you know the AI artists uh, infiltrating the true creative outlets, mm -hmm. uh, you know, designed to to appeal to a, a wide audience. Although, <laughs> based on on what people consume on a mass scale, there will inevitably be completely AI generated um, pieces of content, pieces of art that I think will prove very commercially successful at some mm -hmm. point. The uh, the Transformers sixteen uh, X Fast yeah. and Furious uh, thirty seven. Yeah. The Transformers <laughs> at crossover with that. There was a podcast I heard recently that was proposing a uh, Fast and the Furious Transformers crossover, and it, they they were like, "Well, well, this guy, this commenter, this podcaster, like he, the two are so similar in his mind, and the fact that uh, certain actors have appeared in both, was it not The Rock, um." Not Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel, I thought, showed up in one of the Transformers movies. I could be very wrong, though. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to re remember. It is hilarious, though. I mean, I watched the... In, in the theater to see Guardians 3, I saw the trailer for Fast and Furious X, mm. I think, and Transformers Rise of the Beasts, like, back-to-back, -back, and I'm like, these are the same movie. Like... <laughs> <laughs> just put them together yeah i i've only seen the first two fast and the furious i'm i'm gonna check out the third uh, tokyo drift sometime soon but i just i'm content with listening to the discourse on yeah. <laughs> on all the fast and furious movies um without actually having seen them because i just feel like i'm not necessarily missing much no, no, not too much. But it is funny that, well, I don't know if it's funny, but it's interesting that Fast and the Furious has its own cinematic universe and is doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it, it that to me does feel like if AI created a film franchise and it happened to be super successful, that would be Fast and the Furious. Right. That's yeah. sort of my aversion to that franchise largely is it just mm -hmm. kind of feels like brainless content, <laughs> which honestly kind of sounds therapeutic in a way. I like the idea in some contexts of just going to the movie theater or flipping on the TV and just kind of shutting off my brain for a little while. Yeah. Uh, more and more, you know, that there are times in my life where I feel like I, I got to just kind of zone out. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the, the best way to do that, though, is to just avoid uh, screens entirely, you know, take a fast from screens sure. altogether <laughs> and get out in nature. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of renders that uh, somewhat moot. But people do like they will put things on and just have it in the background kind of as comfort. Right. Um, Right. Oh. I'm I'm curious uh on your thoughts on the uh the animal uh the animal testing and sort of that uh that aspect of this latest Guardians installment. I mean, they had kind of touched on it on previous movies about like raccoon was a lab experiment mm -hmm. and whatnot, but this movie really took that, ran with it and made it very dark. 
I was actually, I went back and looked at the rating because I was, uh, I was curious and it's only PG-13, which mm -hmm. I, I was kind of like, huh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we've gone on all sorts of tangents here, so it's, it's, I'm great to get back to freaking Guardians 3 as, as our uh, topic and the fact that the movie does go very hard kind of like uh you know james gunn suicide film that was rated r mm -hmm. this you know disney would never have let him you know go full r with this and i don't think he necessarily would have wanted to you know cut off an entire um segment of the movie going public by by making it restricted um but yeah i mean you get an f word you know you're only allowed one technically in a pg-13 right. yeah. <laughs> i kind of like the way it uh trans it was just the most innocuous thing ever that mm -hmm. you know it wasn't like this big dramatic beat you know which which i kind of like that it was just this tossed off thing it um, felt more like a, a slice of life uh peak than a uh <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, but yeah, like the the violence against I mean, I guess I was yeah, in, initially just very uh, frankly I'm I'm impressed when they're will, willing to go hard in some of these mm -hmm. movies that can often just feel very sanitized, but like mm -hmm. the the little baby raccoon that's just just been straight up scalped. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's got the yeah. exposed freaking <laughs> skull and the yeah. cranium is just sticking out there. It's like, <laughs> whoa, that's uh, you usually don't see that in a Disney movie. Yeah, it was a, a level of horror. Yeah, yeah. I, guess it, yeah. I guess it was horror uh, in which I feel like has been largely absent from MCU type uh, stuff in the past. Um I didn't see Morbius though. I heard that was a little more. Uh... <laughs> uh, what? Which one? I didn't see Morbius though. Oh. I heard that one had some more. Uh... <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's a Marvel property, but not MCU really. I mean, certainly there's the whole multiverse that allows for, um, at least a tangential relationship. <laughs> Someone said I looked like Jared Leto today, but. <laughs> so I, I've gotten that a few times. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was like, hey, have you seen Morbius? <laughs> and she was like, yeah. It's like, it's Morbin time. <laughs> it's Morbin time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like, especially, yeah, the, the Disney, I think, keeps things a little bit extra. I don't know. Um, kid friendly with the mcu it's it's very colorful compared to a lot of like the dc films and, and kind mm -hmm. of you you want to be able to take your 10 year old to a lot of these movies um but this this one yeah it really earns the pg-13 um a lot of and, and a lot of adults yeah they'll struggle with the the animal abuse subject matter um but mm -hmm. you can get away with it in a sub r-rated film because it you know it's not because the violence isn't being done to humans right uh, so there's there's just less uh of a threshold there uh and you can get away with more violence typically in an animated film as well sure you know, more, you know blood and things like that I, I don't know what i saw recently that had maybe 
a surprising amount of violence in a PG-13 rated, um, or maybe it was TV-14 or something, but just uh, talking, you know, discussing animation a lot on this podcast. Um, it, it's, uh, there's certain luxuries, certain advantages to that medium um, mm -hmm. that uh, unfortunately really don't get taken advantage of a lot of times because these big kind of corporate studios especially disney they they have a certain aesthetic and um it, it almost makes it all the more um uh a kind of fun and uh you know scandalous when they do deviate from that when they do subvert kind of their squeaky clean image mm -hmm. and have something this intense it, the, the impact is perhaps even more pronounced um, and I don't know if that's justified or you know, uh, as a if that's a a defense or what like a an earned you know um, source of praise. <laughs> mm. um, but but it is fun like when you have movies like Zootopia that get a little irreverent, being within the Disney can you know animated canon or. Some some of the you know like Inc the Incredibles for Pixar it was their first PG rated film and there was more adult uh, kind of themed content within that film that was um, that kind of made it extra exciting. <laughs> so is it just because it's it's sort of adult themes wrapped in a more kid friendly package that? that sort of piques your interest when you're consuming it. Maybe so. Mm. <laughs> That's the, you know, the whole notion of just um, selling something based on the pure scandal of it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Like the. Uh... <laughs> Pushing the boundaries, you know, the shock, shock comedy. Um, but you know, when when you're when the bar is set so low, it doesn't take that much to seem a little bit shocking. <laughs> right. Yeah. Compared to other MCU movies, it's definitely uh, more so. But compared to like a yeah. typical horror or mm -hmm. another thriller space opera, it's not so not crazy yeah. for sure. Of course, with the animal stuff, I get it because like people are especially emotionally. Um, affected by scenes involving animals so right that that introduces a, a different dynamic as well um i don't know is that something that that you feel extra like affected by within films uh animals no. yeah no i'm not i mean i'm not a vegan i'm not a vegetarian uh mm -hmm. i just thought it was an interesting uh angle for this movie to play up but uh, yeah they really went for a um they really went for a kind of horrific, uh, like, uh, to make you side with Rocket mm -hmm. so that his kind of arc hits harder. Um, I thought it was an interesting tactic. I, I think it paid off. Um, the uh, And also the, the, uh, the evil or, I guess, just corrupted creations of uh, the... Uh, the what high evolutionary the yeah. high evolutionary uh <laughs> yeah. were pretty pretty scary i mean uh -huh. the uh 
the animal heads on mech bodies and stuff. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was, it was an interesting angle for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This, this guy, the high evolutionary, I mean, he seems like a human, but I imagine he's gotta be, you know, centuries old, you know, there's, there's probably a lot more to him than meets the eye. Um, and of course he's got that crazy uh, RoboCop face yeah <laughs> uh, but but you see him prior to <laughs> having it so uh yeah great kind of crazy how they're able to uh <laughs> have something that extreme also within this film like the you know basically the whole um dark knight two-face yeah. similar visual effect uh, mm -hmm. And similarly horrific, you know, uh, but within a like a PG thirteen content. I and I, <laughs> I mean the the ratings are I think kind of flexible if if a movie studio kind of flexes its muscles a little bit and says, sure, um, yeah. no, we want this, and uh, we're we're going to. It's it's I like mean, yeah, <laughs> the rating scale is so subjective. Anyway, yeah. like how do you? how do you judge how much skin is too much or how much smoking is? It's just, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a little silly and maybe a little outdated, but it is interesting how uh, yeah. the, uh, the studios interface with that, um, especially things like Disney who are trying to maintain their uh, family friendly approach. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know to me the this all easily falls within that um that threshold but oftentimes these mcu films uh, you know it it feels like some of them should maybe even <laughs> uh you know not even earn that pg-13 rating you know it's, it's mm -hmm. so, sometimes these uh ratings have gotten so watered down um, right it's like the pg rating is now almost relegated to oh this is for kids and the mm -hmm. you know, forget about g rating <laughs> that's that's for babies you know yeah yeah so i i yeah obviously i don't like talking about something that that has no artistic merit to it really whatsoever i mean it, it really does because it it adds constraints to a degree, mm -hmm. especially with these big blockbusters where they have to hit a, hit a certain mark. So it is true that when an artist is forced to work within certain constraints, it, it affects the product. Um, and, and sometimes in uh, a good way. <laughs> yeah. You know, oftentimes, you know, uh, artists will talk about how, um, you know, adding constraints to their work it only helps the end product uh, come out more um, compelling. Using phrases like art and artist or terms, you know, uh, uh, when talking about these big blockbusters is a little sus. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is an odd, uh, I mean, there are many artists involved, but yeah overall it's it's corporate art you know no yeah. one really is at the helm of everyone's a paintbrush and there's no uh <laughs> yeah but you know, there are times when it can really result in something spectacular 
um and and we celebrate when that happens you know but i mean uh i think back to kind of my early days of listening to cinephile podcasts and most of my um you know familiarity with film was just through watching big blockbuster movies and uh you know, for the most part, enjoying a lot of them. Uh, but then listening to kind of critics talk about them, it it was al almost alienating to me to hearing them sing the praises of all these movies that I would never have heard of otherwise mm. and almost turn up their nose at a lot of these big budget, you know, movies that are released nationwide. Uh, that I, you know, <laughs> that were typically the ones that I cared about. Um, sure. You know, the indie movies versus, you know, the big blockbuster studio films. Um, and just like, well, <laughs> why is it that some of these uh, commentators um, are kind of dismissive of the things that most people seem to like, or at least the things that most people consume. Uh, if, if these other things were so great, these indie movies, then why aren't they, you know, the things that people are, uh, you know, spending hundreds of millions of dollars uh, mm -hmm. to go see at, at the theater. And, uh, I, you know, it, it's just, that's just how subjectivity works when consuming media. Um, and then, yeah, uh, oftentimes with uh, with indie movies that aren't meant for everyone, you know, that they're they are a very distinctive point of view, oftentimes that your general audiences aren't necessarily going to always, you know, they're, they're certainly not four quadrant pieces, but um, for those to whom they're intended, they they are often just so much more resonant than and some of these things that are um, for the masses. Mm -hmm. uh, but but it is, it is so fun when the, the thing that is made for the masses is, is capable of kind of achieving a certain transcendence amongst the, uh, you know, um, the critical consumer, mm -hmm. <laughs> shall we say. <laughs> sure. And when that happens, oftentimes it becomes a, a crazy phenomenon, um, you know, like a lot of the, the like the way that often um, these MCU movies have allowed have been allowed to, um, you know, become this massive behemoth uh, because it started with the movie like Iron Man that had massive kind of uh, a groundswell of, um, mm -hmm. you know appeal and uh it, you know it was up against the dark knight which also you know critically and commercially celebrated film but um you know this this kind of underdog studio marvel cinematic or the marvel studios you know was able to come out and and compete against uh nolan and and the dark knight dc and uh develop uh deliver something just as um satisfying uh, and and then that spawned a whole big uh, mythology uh that continued its success uh 
oftentimes just as much critically as commercially, uh, including movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, the, the trilogy that um, mm -hmm. this movie does, you know, currently sit at, uh, you know, I think certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. Um, so that, that kind of wraps up some of my thoughts about uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and the state of uh, blockbuster uh, <laughs> cinema that I kind of also wanted to get into um, because, uh, I mean, even if um, some of the story beats are unsatisfying, which, which I did not find here, um, just the level of production value that gets poured into these films is kind of worth the price of admission on its own in in my opinion sure yeah the the visual spectacle is uh is often worth it just yeah. on its own merits but the fact that it turns into a uh a compelling story alongside is a cherry on top <laughs> minor minor miracle mm -hmm. cherry on top um yeah have you seen any uh other good movies lately <laughs> Um, whew, I saw <laughs> saw sixty five, not good. Oh, okay. <laughs> sure. Uh oh, shoot! I'm gonna have to look at what I saw recently. That's but, okay. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, one thing that I th I thought really, um, surprisingly good was John Wick four, and I I had only yeah. seen the third one in theaters i that was the first one i saw and i didn't enjoy it very much because it is heavily dependent on having seen the first two mm -hmm. um and then so i did watch the three uh you know leading up to the fourth uh but didn't enjoy any of those first three nearly as much as i did the fourth one so kind of really a, yeah kind of an underdog surprise for me um uh, having enjoyed the fourth film as much as i did um but oh did you see the uh dungeons and dragons that was very good movie? yeah yeah it was fun yeah i enjoyed that a lot and uh renfield was a surprising yeah uh, it was good i enjoyed that one i don't think it was like a top tier movie but uh yeah i had a good time watching it mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the, the two nicks uh nicholas cage and nicholas holt yeah <laughs> nicholas holt you know he's able to play kind of the bumbling sap um, i feel like nicholas holt as as you i think suggested often plays the same character um from mad max to uh oh, yeah. great uh but he's so good at it i just always yeah. a treat to see him <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he can play heroic too sure uh, you know the mad max character he has its heroic moments um, but yeah, I, for whatever reason, I don't, he's not really popped as like a leading man, you know, to the level of someone like Chris Pine or Chris Pratt, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Hemsworth, Chris Evans. Yeah. All the Chris's. Uh... Chris, Chris's, um, yeah. I, and I, I really enjoyed Chris Pratt in, in Guardians 3. I, I thought, um, as much as he's maybe had other roles that were kind of, I don't know, not not really hitting um, the the um, persona of Star-Lord is just the perfect match for Chris mm -hmm. Pratt. 
and uh you know I, I felt more connected to him and and that performance than prep than probably any other performance by one of the big hollywood chrises <laughs> mm. i don't know would, would you say um you have a, a favorite either a favorite chris or a favorite chris character yikes uh there's a <laughs> there's so many chrises uh well pine evans hemsworth and pratt and pine yeah. you know he was uh kirk and you know the guy in uh dungeons and dragons and wonder woman all sorts of things and I think I, I think I do tend to connect with Chris Pine the most um, in terms of it. Maybe just his uh, his movie, his selections of movies that he's in uh, speak mm -hmm. to me. I, I really enjoyed his performance in the original Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. um, I liked his take on Captain Kirk. Uh, he did great in the recent Dungeons and Dragons movie. Um, definitely... Okay. I think he has a, a decent amount of range and when he plays a villain is kind of rare, but he, he does a good job in that too. Um, but I totally agree with you on uh, Star-Lord being uh, pretty perfect for Chris Pratt. Um, I think he, um, I mean, I've seen him in some other stuff. He was in, uh, oh, what was it? The, uh, the timeline future Tomorrow oh, War. Tomorrow War, yeah. Tomorrow War. It's it's hard to see him as a hyper serious uh leading uh figure after as an audience member seeing him uh do things like Parks and Rec and Star Lord. Um I mean they say that it's easier to go to uh something dramatic from comedy than to go the other way but he just he he has a great comedic timing and his facial expressions are just he just had he yeah. has it down and i think that it's always a, a it's always a pleasure to see him as star lord because he just kind of he fills that role so perfectly Talk about an exception to that rule. Yeah, he's so much more interesting in comedic roles. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Sometimes you just end up with kind of a dud project. Uh, you know, even like the Jurassic World movies, they were just very blandly written, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I you know, we'll see what's next for Chris Pratt. But um, as much as like... All the Chris's have done a great job in various projects. And Chris yeah. Pine, I think, as just a performer, perhaps does have the most pathos. Um, generally, uh, Star-Lord is, is, I think, my easily my favorite. You know, he's, he's one of my all-time favorite fictional characters, basically, in this yeah. iteration of him from Pratt. Uh, speaking of Chris Pine as a villain, I, I can't even really think of a movie where he's been the villain. I'm sure I've seen him somewhere, but I think he is a villain in this new Disney movie that's coming out called Wish. I just saw a trailer for it in front of um, Little Mermaids. So that's what made me think of it. <laughs> but uh, odd to see him as a villain, I must say. Yeah, it's it also feels weird because he usually plays these uh, lovable... Uh, he's he got was such... in... Yeah. Don't worry, darling. He was a he was a bad guy. 
yeah yeah he's got such kind eyes Yeah. It's kind of a a very uh puppy dog heartthrob yeah um all right well thanks elliot i uh this has uh been, been an extreme pleasure um i know you, yeah you've had a lot of traveling so thanks for uh sticking with me and uh indulging me uh <laughs> oh, no I can't, worries. can't thank you enough. Man, it's, and it's great to hear from you, my, my brother-in-law, Elliot, in Los Angeles, California. Um, so, yeah, any, any other thoughts you want to share on, on today's subjects, uh, particularly guardians or, or anything else you want to say? I think I'm uh, tangented out for the moment. We went on quite a journey today, so uh, uh, apologies if that was uh, <laughs> out there, Yeah, but exactly. I had a good time. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what I enjoy about podcasts is when you you have no idea where it might go. But Sure. um, I've <laughs> I've spent well over a decade, you know, listening to long form uh, audio media, and so you know, my my tastes in terms of how that has evolved, you know, may be in the in the slim minority. <laughs> Uh, you know, just being able to kind of riff and ramble, but I don't know what is it. What's his name? Rogan. His aren't his episodes like three and a half hours long most of the time. It's like Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I don't he know. he must really go off on some real <laughs> <laughs> uh, auditory benders, if you I do. will. I do listen to some history podcasters that are in the like three three plus hour mark, and Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's just I mean. a good amount of content. <laughs> If yeah, if I really love a show and I see that uh, you know the new episode comes out and the um the the, the cursor on the bottom is showing well, three hours remaining, I'm like heck yeah, let's go. <laughs> give me more content <laughs> i want it Give me uh, <laughs> pour it in my ear holes. Um, all right, well. Uh, Yeah, that was Guardians of the Galaxy three. <laughs> Uh, so, Elliot, uh, do you do you want to share any social media or anything? Up to you. oh sure uh yeah if you uh enjoy tangents that's a good way to put it uh you can follow me at elamundo That's uh, pretty much my social tag, just about everywhere on the internet. Um, yeah. All right, I'll I'll link to it uh, on the. episode info and yeah uh find thodcast at thodcast.com at thodcast on twitter and instagram um you know streaming on all sorts of different podcasting platforms uh, even on soundclouds where i host the the uploads and uh you find me at philip elke on twitter and instagram uh it's just fun to sit and chat about the uh, movies that that i selfishly you know i i conscripted you elliot because i i wanted to talk about this movie because i really liked it <laughs> um all good but sounds like you did too um so yeah 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 um until next time you know uh this uh it's been really fun the thoughtcast conversations about animation and um uh for elliot mitchell want to say to everyone out there as we sign off Have a magical day. Have a wonderful week and warm hugs from Rocket Raccoon. <laughs>